So glad to be here for all of you joining us online or at one of our other campuses, Somerset, Williamsburg, Middlesbrough. We are so glad you're here. Uh, as Jack said, my name's Nate, and uh, he's a liar. I'm great at golf. Those pros, they shoot in the 70s. I'm like in the hundreds, okay? So I'm way better than they are. Uh, but uh, we are so glad you're here. As he said, we're taking a break this week on our series, The Kingdom. So I know that's probably, you, you might feel a little disappointed. I do too, okay? I get it. Uh, but you come back next week. Pastor Trevor will be back, and it'll be, it'll be great. So um, I just, I just want to talk to you today about some things I've been wrestling through. I'm taking a new role, a discipleship pastor here at our central staff. And um, I just wanted to know from you guys, what was the worst day of school for you? What was the worst day of school? Not, not like, oh, I, my girlfriend. I mean, like, the worst day to go to school was what day? I heard it over here. Nobody else wants to participate. Whoever said it, test day. Test day was the worst day, right? Nobody wants to go. Like, for me, I, I'm ADHD, and, like, I wasn't good at preparing, and I was that student. So, sorry, teachers. I'm that guy. Uh, but for me, it was like test day. I was looking for any way to get out of it. You know, could I call in dead? Um, could I just, you know, get kidnapped? I don't know, whatever it was, because usually I didn't prepare um, uh, for the test. But um, I was encouraged to find this week as I uh, searched the interwebs, uh, there were other people that were like me, apparently, that just didn't like tests and they didn't appreciate, you know, the studying and the preparing. And the, uh, so uh, I thought I would encourage you as it encouraged me for about an hour of laughter and people probably thought I was gay. Some of the funniest test answers I've ever seen in my life. So uh, here we go. Uh, what ended in 1896? 1895. <laughs> I don't know what Jimmy was doing, but he wasn't studying. All right, so we got, we got Tim over here. He's got a math test coming up. He says, uh, the question is, Bob has 36 candy bars. He eats 29. What does Bob have? He's got diabetes. <laughs> um, which, honestly, that's not... I, I don't doubt that. And, and I should really question why, why we put that kind of stuff on a test because it might make someone believe that that's something you should do. Uh, but anyway, uh, this next one, Tim, he's got another math test. They asked to find X. There it is. There it is. Uh, this next one, it has to be a girl because the handwriting is far too. So we'll go with Amy. Her name was Amy. In which battle did Napoleon die? His last one. Nailed it. All right. This, this one and the next one are by far my favorites. Uh, why does Saturn have rings? Because God liked it, so he put a ring on it. Now, I don't appreciate the comment from the teacher, Saturn was not a single lady. Who are you? Are you suggesting that God would put a ring on a married lady? No. It's his planet. He can do with what he wants. So anyway, uh, this one, this last one, I don't even think it's a test, but I've rolled for hours. Okay. I like Miss Edwards. She is my teacher. I like when she does meth with us. Now, Jimmy here might need a spelling class or, or, or Miss Edwards needs a visit from the sheriff. I'm not sure which one, uh, but you know, we can enjoy in their, uh, their failed test, I guess. Uh, but it made me feel better about myself and life just in general as a student because I was a horrible one. My wife's a teacher, she teaches nursing and she shows up and complains about her students. And I'm just like, yeah, uh-huh. Well, that's great. They are horrible. And then I'm like, I go to myself and I'm like, that was me. But anyway, uh, teachers, you've got a hard job. All right. That's just the bottom line. Teachers have a really hard job. And if you're a teacher, you know that you understand that because teachers, they have to prepare, they have to prepare students uh, for tests they don't want to take to begin with. Right. I mean, I don't know any sane person that's just like, I love taking tests. Um, um, that just sounds a little wacky to me, but maybe they're out there. But, uh, you know, for us, 
Now, for me, I didn't want to be there, and most of you probably didn't want to be there, but teachers aren't there, you know, to harm us, or at least majority of teachers aren't there. Like, they're there to be helpful. They're not trying to be hateful when they give us tests. I mean, it's possible that some are, but, you know, they're trying to help us, right? As a teacher, your responsibility is to help students grow. That's why you got into education in the first place. Um, but tests, they do something for us. They, uh, they allow us to see something about ourselves. There's a purpose to them. They reveal something for us. Um, they show us where we need to develop. They show us where we're strong. They show us where we're weak. And they present to us opportunities that allow us to grow and mature and hopefully one day graduate, right? And what I've learned and what I think about, especially as I hear my wife um, complain sometimes, um, passing a test is largely dependent on the student, right? Like no good teacher goes through the semester and doesn't give you the materials. They, they give you the materials. That's what a good teacher does. But passing the test is re really dependent on how the student prepares for the test, whether they're willing to make the sacrifice and go through the difficulties of, you know, not going out with their girlfriend or going to play basketball. Or that's usually what I found myself doing to not study for tests. But uh, what I found is that school... And those tests, they're not much different from the life that we experience here, our, our faith. Um, they're very similar because we all face um, different seasons of life where it's just hard. And I think we can all agree that sometimes life is hard. I feel like for the last two years, it's kind of been that at times. Life has been hard. Um, so it's not that much different because we all go through trials. We all go through pain and suffering. And that's what I think about when I think about tests. Um, but that's just the reality. And maybe for some of you, you're here this morning and that's the season you find you're in. You just feel like this season's never gonna end and I don't know why I'm having to go through this or having to work through this. But I've found that in my experience that it's through adversity that God prepares us for what he wants to do in us and through us. And I know, I know that's probably not something you want to hear and it's not something that we like to hear. And I'm, I'm gonna share with you some scriptures today that when I read them, I'm just like, I don't like that. I don't. I don't really, I, I don't, but I can't really change it. So it's there and I'm going to share it with you. So we can be in the same boat together. But the same question comes up when it comes to adversity in our lives. And when we have to meet and we have to face trials and it's this, why, why? We ask ourselves like, how, how can God do this to me? Why would God do this to me? What, you know, I've got this difficult circumstance. I'm, I'm, our marriage is struggling. Uh, we've, we're financially in trouble. We've got all these trials going on in our life. And how could he do that and call himself good? Um, and what I've learned as a father, we've got, we've got three kids, nine, seven, and six. And those are ages, not names. Um, but for me as a dad, it's my job to prepare my kids for life. Like, I want what's best for my kids when they leave my home, right? But sometimes my kids don't recognize what's best for them, like, right? They'd rather have ice cream than broccoli, but I know one of those is better, although it doesn't taste better. One of those is better for me, and that's probably what we need. It's why in our house we have a daddy tax, right? If you bring home sweets, I get a portion of it. It becomes mine. If you bring home Halloween candy, 10% of it becomes mine. Dads, feel free. You're welcome to take that into your home. Why? Because you're preparing your kids to pay taxes, right? That's what I see it as. I mean, they're going to pay taxes in this adult. Hopefully, I'm, they're not going to be in my house. Lord, please don't let them be in my house forever. But one day, they'll move out and they'll have their own bills, and I'll be grateful for that. But one day, they're going to have to be adults on their own, and I have to prepare them for that. It's why we make our kids 
clean up their rooms. We ask our middle son to clean up his room and you would have thought we asked him to wear a Tennessee shirt, right? Because it was like weeping and gnashing of teeth. And we had to go in there and have a conversation about how when we clean up our room, it gives an opportunity for joy to look into the things that we have. And it was, it was really great. I, I was really proud of myself um, because we got to talk about, hey, you got this stuff. You should be grateful for it. And in the process of cleaning up, that's a good thing to do. And then you're not as whatever this is um, because he was, really, he was really going at it. But for parents, I mean, what kind of parent leaves their kid unprepared for life? Not a good one. That's what we want to do. And at the same time, that's what our heavenly father wants to do. He wants to prepare us for life, to pre prepare us for the challenges that we're going to go through. And those are guaranteed, like we'll talk about here in just a minute. But today we're going to look at a gentleman named James. He wrote, a, he wrote a letter to a group of Christians. They were Jewish Christians, as in they were Jewish. Then Jesus rose from the dead, and then they became Christians. And because of that, not only did Rome reject them, because Rome rejected Christians to begin with, more than likely their Jewish faith rejected them and possibly their, even their family. So they found it coming from both sides and they were being persecuted and they were facing this suffering and these trials. And James here, he's trying, he's trying to encourage them. He's trying to let them know, hey, what you're going through in this current season, it's, it's not without purpose. Because they're sitting there, they're asking the same question we ask when we go through these, why? They're asking why. So here's what James says to them. When troubles of any kind come your way. And the first thing that sticks out to me is our first word here, when. James doesn't say if trials are going to come way, or if trials come your way. He doesn't say it's possible, it's not likely that they'll come your way. He says when. James here is insinuating that trials are certain, that all of us in this room and in this life, we will face trials. We will face problems. That's just the nature. And we know if we've read any of the scriptures, if we grew up in a church, we know where that happened. Genesis 3, right? It's a result of the fall. It's a result of sin. That in Genesis 3, they were given everything and they could not eat the one thing they were told not to eat. They, choosed, they chose to trust themselves more than they trusted God. And as a result, there was the collateral damage of sin. Laundry, right? Some of y'all get that in a minute. Um, there was death, there was disease, there was famine. All of those things entered into the world. And for, for us, we suffer the consequences of that. And sometimes it's not anything we've done that we suffer the consequences of those things, but sometimes it is. The things we do, the sins that we commit against someone, they cause and create trials for us. But for us as Jesus followers, the moment that we decide to follow Jesus is the moment that we should expect trials to begin. And why is that? Because Jesus promised it. Jesus told his own disciples, as their teacher, as our teacher, he promises that there will be tests along the way. It's coming. Some are going to be, you see them coming from a while out, and some are going to be pop quizzes. They're just going to show up, and you didn't see it coming at all. But to his disciples, Jesus would promise this, that in this world, you will have troubles. So when those troubles show up, James would say, he says, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Now, that word consider, it's like a mathematical term, which is to almost like look ahead and budget for, to plan for. So it's almost like James here is saying, know that they're coming in the good seasons when you have the capacity, put together a way that you're going to respond to this. And he said you should respond with joy, to which we are all like, what, what, what are you smoking, right? 
How do you face trouble and trials with joy? How do you do that? And we all know the person in our lives that is just overly positive. And I think there's really two types. There's that one that's just ignorant and doesn't know any better, right? They've never had life punch them in the face and they're just, you know, rainbow puking unicorns all the time. Um, and then one day, you know, something comes along and that, that is wrecked for them and everything falls apart. And maybe you're someone that likes to help people that think like that experience life. I don't know. But, um, but there's another person. There's another person that you look into their life and you see how their life has gone and you're like, how are they so positive? How are they even keeping everything together? How can they look into tragedy, into trial and still remain positive? And I think that's what James was. He had some perspective. In fact, there's a story of a king, an African king. He had a servant and, and the servant, no matter what happened, the servant always responded the same way. This is good. Good or bad? This is good. And, and one day they were out hunting and the servant was loading the gun and an animal came across. So the king grabbed the gun, shot the gun, and it misfired and it exploded and it blew off, his, blew off the king's thumb. And he turned around. What in the world happened? And the, and the servant says, this is good. And the king goes, this is not good, right? I don't have a thumb anymore. And out of anger, he just throws him in jail, throws him in prison. And, and he goes on for a few years and he finds himself out hunting again, the king. And he comes across a, tri a tribe of cannibals and they take him in. But as this tribe, they're very superstitious and they won't anything, eat anything uh, that is not whole. And as they're preparing him and getting him ready to cook him, they notice he's missing a thumb. So they untie him and they let him go. And he goes straight back to his kingdom where a servant is waiting in a jail cell. And he's like, I don't know how I ever forgive myself for what I've done to you. And the servant, this is good. And, and the king is so confused because he's seen this time and time again. And he just doesn't understand how the servant could think this way. And he's like, how can you say that when I've wasted years of your life? And the servant said, if I wasn't here, I would have been with you. It's perspective, right? He was able to see the results of what could have happened if he hadn't have been in the place he was. Now, the place he was wasn't great, but he was able to at least see that it was better than where he would have been, right? And that's something we need. We need perspective. And that's what I think James wants to teach us here. James wants to teach us, we don't choose what happens to us, but we do get to choose how we respond to what happens to us. So here's what he says, for you know, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. That testing of your faith is an opportunity for you to grow in your faith. Now this word tested, it's a word that speaks to silversmith work. Um, when they take silver, they, they heat it up. And it brings all the impurities in the silver up to the top. And then the silversmith, he just kind of uses a grate to get, get all those out. And they just do it over and over and over again. And they know it's pure when they can take the silver and he can look into it and he can see a reflection of himself. The silversmith knows that the silver is ready for sale because he can see himself in it. And for me, I think this is probably what James experienced. He experienced a testing. A testing. And it was all throughout his life. Because if you think about it, James... James was the half-brother of Jesus, you know, because Mary, Joseph, they had kids, but Mary was a virgin, so half-brother. But James, he had, to have it he had to have it tough. I mean, can you imagine growing up with a brother that never did anything wrong? 
That was literally James's story, right? Who left the dishes in the sink? Jesus? Really? Really? Right? You can't blame anything on him. And I can imagine at some point, mom and dad had to say, James, why can't you be more like Jesus? And that has to weigh on a kid, right? Because if you grew up in a house where your brother and sister never got in trouble for anything you did, it makes you feel like you're crazy at times. So I imagine growing up with Jesus, it had to feel the same way. It had to have been a test for James. And the scriptures even tell us in John 7, John tells us this, that his brothers didn't even believe in Jesus. They didn't believe Jesus was who he said he was. They just, they just I guess, thought he was nuts. But something happened to James that changed his story. Something happened to James that changed his perspective on the way he looked at life and his trials. And Paul shares with us what, what happened. He says, I passed on to you what was most important and what has, had also been passed on to me. And he's talking about the information he got before he started taking his ministry forward. He said, Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. And then he was seen by Peter, Jesus. Jesus was seen by Peter and more than 500 other people, also the 12. Some of those are, you know, still alive. Some of those are dead. And then here's the part where I think James, everything changed for James. And here's what Paul tells us. Then he was seen by James. Now think about this. Despite James's childhood, he would have experienced all that he experienced with Jesus. The brother that never did any wrong. He would also see him arrested, trialed, and murdered in front of his friends and family. And he would watch his family mourn. He would watch his friends mourn. And most likely, as a brother, he would have mourned as well the loss of his brother. Because people don't come back from crucifixions. But then, Jesus came back. And he showed himself to James. And James got to see a resurrected brother. And I'm with James. If you can raise from the dead, I'm going with you, right? And that was the conclusion James came to because he understood what the scriptures taught, the purpose of sacrifice, that it was to pay for sins. He understood the stories that were in the scriptures of the coming Messiah. And when he was raised from the dead, he knew that he was the Messiah. So, James here, he has an opportunity to see life differently. He, he has an opportunity to see pain and trial and trouble differently because there's purpose in it. And he understands how God can bring something immeasurably good out of something incredibly painful because he's experienced it. And it changes everything for James and I think it should change everything for us because how we see Jesus shapes how we see everything else in life. We've talked about this before, and, and James, he's, he's imploring us in those moments of difficulty to enter into them, to receive them as an opportunity for great joy. And this is how we've defined joy here at the Creek. Joy is a steadfast confidence that God is in control of all the details of my life and the settled assurance that ultimately everything is going to be all right. If my brother can conquer death, everything's going to be okay. And the same goes for me. If Jesus can conquer death, everything for me is going to be okay. I can approach whatever comes my way as an opportunity for joy. And this attitude of joy, it, it allows us to face those difficult circumstances in a way that some people just can't understand. It, it, it keeps us from 
retreating in the face of the worst case scenario. It fills in the gaps where we don't have all the answers because sometimes God just doesn't give us all the answers. There's gaps, but it fills those gaps and allows us to trust and believe that God is up to something good, even in the worst of moments. And it means that we trust God more than we trust ourselves. And for all of us, the purpose of trials, if we follow Jesus, is growth. It's to grow our faith. Now, we think discipline and we, we think punishment, right? We think, we think trials and we think difficult seasons, that's true. And most of us grew up in an environment, at least I did, and I would assume some of us are similar to that. We grew up in an environment where Bible study is where you grew your faith, right? And I'm not knocking that. I think you need the scriptures, but there's only so much, te- there's only so far that teaching can take you. You can learn a lot in seminary. I'm about 10 hours away from graduating and never will graduate, but it never prepares you for actually doing ministry. I didn't experience, it didn't prepare me for some of the things that I was going to come across as a pastor. It just can't. It can give you the information, but it can't prepare you for some of the situations you're going to face. So knowing information, it's a good thing, but it can only take you so far. At some point, you have to get out and apply the information. You have to take your faith and activate it. You have to use it. It's just like a gym membership. If you go to the gym or you have a gym membership and you never go, what's the point, right? We all know that guy, right? We all know that guy. Upper body, he never missed. Leg day, never goes. What's he got? Chicken legs, right? Okay. If you don't exercise the muscles in the legs, you don't grow the muscles in the legs. And then you look kind of weird, okay? And the same thing applies for us in our faith. If we don't exercise our faith, if we don't put our faith to the test, if we don't allow God to use our circumstances to push our faith and to grow our faith, we're left weak. But, but God wants to take our trials and show us those areas where we need to grow because that's a good thing. Growth, it's painful, but it's good for us. Hebrews says that discipline, it's painful for a season, but it produces good in the long run. That's the Nate Heron version. I can't quote it verbatim, but that's what it says. That discipline for a season, it's good for us. It grows us. And I was always told growing up, don't ever pray for patience. Because God's going to give you an opportunity to be patient. He's not going to just give you patience. He's going to give you an opportunity to grow it. So he's going to probably give you a difficult person. And this season, I feel like if I prayed for patience, he gave me Micah. Micah's our youngest, and he's just like his daddy in a lot of ways. But he is 99 miles an hour all the time. And he's either happy or he's mad. And it's like... So if I'm going to pray for patience, I should expect opportunities to be patient. If I'm going to pray for love, to love my neighbor, I need to expect opportunities to love my neighbor. If I'm going to pray for any of the fruit of the Spirit, goodness, kindness, self-control, I should expect opportunities for those things to grow in me, not just to be handed them. And James, he would encourage us. He wants to give you an opportunity to grow, so let it grow. Let your faith grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Now, we know this about James. He was Jewish. And I don't think those last two words, at least in the Greek, I couldn't tell you what they were, but 
I can tell you what the English is, is needing nothing. Those two words right there, I don't think they were used without thought. I think for a man that grew up with the Jewish scriptures, that he would have known exactly what he was doing. And as a Jewish man writing to Jewish Christians, he knew exactly what he was doing. He was pointing them to a place in the scriptures. And I think it was this. Psalm 23, it says this. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. Or I need nothing. Some translations say I lack nothing. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He restores my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. And even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid. For you are close beside me. That James, to these people that were facing persecution and trials, he wanted them to remember that in our darkest moments, sometimes we forget that God is right there with us. And it's in those darkest moments where James is asking us and pushing us, hey, if you don't have all the answers for why you're going through what you're going through, all you have to do is ask. He's right there with you. Ask for wisdom so that you can better understand. And ask for wisdom in faith, knowing that God is generous and he will give you what you need in that season. So just ask. And then James, he finishes up with this. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, afterward they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. God wants to develop in you the best version of you. And for me in this season and over this last week, I've been stuck on this word right here. Blessing, blesses, blessed. I've been hung up on that word because I think very few of us really understand what being blessed means. Now I would agree, I think all of us are blessed. I tell our kids all the time, we have so much more than a lot of people and we should be so grateful for what we do have. But I think sometimes as the church, we've watered that word down to mean only the good things we receive from God. That we overlook that some of the difficult seasons in our life, they are also blessings as well because they prepare us to be used in the good seasons. And for me, that's been a convicting thing this week. That I'm so quick to rush through life in the good seasons and not even recognize God. But the minute things go squirrely, <laughs> I'm asking, where are you, God? And he's like, I never left. Some of us, present company included. I need a new way to look at blessing. I need a new way to view blessing. Because for me, oftentimes I'm far quicker to pray myself out of a difficult situation, as in God, get me out of this, 
then I'm willing to say, God, help me persevere through this. But why would I miss that opportunity for God to grow me? Because it hurts? Because I don't like it? But God wants so much more for me. Because just like that silversmith, he's heating me up in those trials and he's bringing away the debris. And one day he wants to look into that silver and he wants to see a reflection of himself. But more importantly, he wants to see a reflection of his son. And that's what trials do to us. They help us reflect Jesus. They help us become more like Jesus. And here's what I've learned, blessing. Blessing is anything that brings you closer to God and closer to the person God wants you to become. And that's all I got. I sat all week trying to come up with a better ending than that. And that's all I had. But as I sat kind of reading yesterday, I just came across this and it was, for me, it was encouraging. Um, Hebrews, it says this, faith shows the reality of what hope, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. And then he goes on to share story after story from the Old Testament about how people entered into a relationship trusting God. You've got the story of Cain and Abel. You've got the story of Noah, the fact that he would trust God and build an ark. You've got Abraham who would, who would trust God and follow him to a land he had never seen or didn't even know that he would leave his family. And not only that, that him and Sarah would trust God to provide a son for them. And then they would trust God to even take it to the point of taking him to the mountain to sacrifice him because that's what God asked him to do. Talk about filling some gaps here, right? But there was faith. And story after story after story right there, and it says none of them gave up the hope of what had been promised. And most of them never saw what was promised. But in, verse, in chapter 12, he says this, with all those stories in mind, with all those people of great faith, with all the people that you can think about, that you've seen them go through difficult seasons and they came out better for it. And you looked at them as if to say, how did you do that? When you think about those types of people, he encourages us, let us strip off every weight that slows us down and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion and initiator who perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross. Disregarding its shame, now he is seated at a place of honor next to God. And we think about our own sin. Help that encourage you that you won't grow weary. That when I look at those stories of faith, it helps me believe that just maybe in this season, I can persevere. Our team's gonna come out and lead us in a song. And I just wanna take these next few moments
for you to think about all the ways God has been faithful to you. And even if you're in a season of trial, even if you find yourself right smack dab in the middle of a difficult season, I want you to know that God has always been faithful and he will always remain faithful because Jesus promised us, right? In this world, you will have troubles, but wait for the outcome because I have overcome the world. Father, it's not really emotionally satisfying (laughs) that you invite us to not necessarily welcome difficult seasons, but to be ready for them and know that we're gonna go through them. And when we go through them, that to receive them with joy. And not, not that we're happy about it, but, but we know that we can face it with a different perspective because the outcome is not settled. So Father, in those moments, help us accept that that is the way you're choosing to come to us. Whether it's good, good things or difficult seasons, Father, you are choosing to come to us and help us to be thankful in that and help us to see that what you're doing in our faith, we may not see the results now, but you are producing something in us and through us. And it is all for your kingdom.